I am Darren Carp, and I have the pleasure of speaking with John Thrasher. And John, before you even hop <laughs> on the mic, I just wanted to say that I am in a location with my parents right now, and my mom was like, oh, well, I got to say hi to John. And I was like, don't worry, oh. Mom. Like, you're she's not here right now, but like okay. she wants to... Just for her to know that she's in your presence makes her feel very good. So. Well, listen, she is always in my presence. Like, literally, I think about her off more often than you guys probably realize. And I love her, and I hope to see her again very soon. Well, you are you do have the voice of an angel, as she always says. Mm, thank so you. I think she's, she's excited for your mellifluous voice. But um, <laughs> I apologize if my audio sounds a little uh, different. I am in, I'm in Los Angeles today. My parents had rented mm. out a house uh, to visit my brother, so... I'm kind of on location in a lot of ways, but I yeah. don't hear the murder cicadas in the background That's right. for you today. That's right. Um, thank you for noticing that because I did move to a different location because my house in Western Maryland is located in the middle of the woods and ah. not a good place to record a podcast when it's the 17-year cicada brood emerging all around you. Um, so yeah, I'm actually at a friend's who graciously let me come, uh, be at their place. The funny thing is there's a giant tree right outside of the window and there are more cicadas. Ah, yeah, yes. but I don't think they're picking up as much. In fact, last week after we recorded, actually, as I was editing the show, Darren, I was like, I got to make a statement about this. So I jumped in our Facebook group, which anybody can join, by the way. And I said, by the way, we have a million guests this week. It's the fucking cicadas that are outside of my house. <laughs> it's very annoying. But I think we're cicada-free for now. So that's good. I was definitely thinking about you. We don't have <laughs> them yet in, like, they just, they're not coming in New York City because I'm not out yeah. of the woods or whatever. So I, right. but again, like I said, like I grew up in the suburbs. So I definitely you know. Um, yes, I do remember them. Yeah. Um, I didn't get too many comments about hearing them in the last episode, though. So that's kind of good. That's I think good. Just, yeah. I think people probably just used it as white noise or something. To go I was to just going to say, you know, it was either white noise. I did put a filter on our audio, on my audio. So hopefully most of them did get kind of, you know, filtered out but we apologize if there was a humming in the background there's literally not much i can do about it at this point and listen we're gonna get into the case i'm gonna ask john what he's drinking but don't yeah. worry because i know a lot of people <laughs> uh have been reaching out about david archuleta and i'm gonna be pressing john about this so don't yeah. worry i'm not gonna let him just skip right by yeah. this because literally he almost died and i almost had to do this podcast <laughs> on my own but we're gonna get to that at the end of the episode yes. and we can just talk about the saga that is uh john thrasher and david archuleta but that's before right. we before we get into the case john what are you drinking today are you drinking well, anything today i'm not drinking anything today the reason being is i had to drive to come over here to where i'm recording so i didn't want to drink and drive so i just have an old-fashioned bottle of water sitting here next to me but this this is a shout out to everyone out there who listens to our show who doesn't drink like you uh, usually you usually fill that for for a couple of well, weeks I, recently. I, I i do and i'm going to continue with this week only because i i am a little wonky from the time difference <laughs> that's right uh, again, yeah i got in way later last night i had like mm. just it was like such a quick fight but then i sat and i sat in front of this kid who was just wailing like he was oh, being God. murdered the entire time isn't that fun and isn't that always this the five-year-old kid and i was like listen i know as parents <laughs> like you can't do anything yeah. but there has to be something to do like, well let me say this i i we won't spend too much more time on non-murder related things but i was on a flight a work trip like five years ago where someone and i know it has to happen don't get me wrong i am not shaming parents i am not i'm pro parents i understand that traveling with little kids is impossible 
but they changed their kid's diaper twice on the airplane with and no. it was an hour flight no. and i'm like listen i get it kids need to have their diaper changed it wasn't like the kid was crying it wasn't like the kid was screaming help i'm so wet and soggy whatever I was so pissed off, for lack of a better word. And from that moment forward, I have never, before or after that, I've never seen someone change a diaper on a flight. And I'm like, what is going on here? That's bizarre. I mean, listen. I know. It's hard for me to judge, right? Because when you're not I know. a parent. I like, get it. Yeah. What can I say? And like, you know, <laughs> like, I'm sure that they're embarrassed too. Like, they don't want their kid wailing. Surely. I didn't even see any, like, there wasn't even, like, emotion for it. You know what I mean? It's like, when (laughs) you're going on a date and you know that you're going to pay, all you want is that other person to at least reach for the check. Just reach. Sure. Sure. Do a courteous reach, people. And so it was just like, (laughs) anyway, a courteous reach. I am Listen, that could go a couple different ways, but yeah, keep going. Yeah, I, I meant I meant for the Czech people, not uh, not consenting <laughs> sexual relationships. But right, right, right. I see where you're going with that, but uh, uh-huh. yeah, I'm just having some water to hydrate and some diet coke today to kind of uh, get my spirits up. Although I Great. see in the fridge, my mom, she was like, "Yeah, we found this IPA and we couldn't not." And it was like mm. murder. It was like murder bunny serial killer bunny <laughs> IPA. So what? Honestly, finding a gift for your dad or husband is literally the hardest. Luckily, we found the perfect solution, Songfinch. With Songfinch, you can create a custom song all about dad, and it takes just five minutes. First, visit songfinch.com, share a few details, select your music genre and style, and they'll pick the perfect musician to bring it to life in just seven days. Songfinch works with over 500 professional musicians who range in genre from acoustic pop and country to R&B and folk, so you are sure to get an amazing radio-quality song in the genre your dad or husband loves best. They even have artists featured on Songland and The Voice, actually. And creating a song may sound overwhelming, but with over 2,000 five-star reviews on Trustpilot, it's a gift that he is sure to love forever. Darren, you recently did a song finch for your girlfriend, and didn't you just absolutely love it? Boy, did I ever, John. And let me tell you, I look like the best girlfriend in the world. So I actually ordered a song finch for my girlfriend's birthday, and... It brought tears to her eyes. It was one of the coolest, most unique gifts I think I could ever offer her. I wanted to share a little bit with you guys. Not too much because it's a personal song, but uh, here's a little bit of the personalized song that I did. It is just absolutely incredible. Baby, you are one of a kind. Caring and passionate who always makes me smile. I can hear the birds singing every time Like a movie star, you light up the sky You're the best thing that's happened to my life Mm -hmm. Yes, you I'm not going to lie. When you sent me that song, I was crying. Like, I'm not even in the relationship and I was crying. Anyway, songs are normally $249, but this week they're $50 off, bringing them to $199. With code SHAKEN, our listeners save an additional $20. So that's a total of $70 off the perfect Father's Day gift. Only $179 for a gift they'll treasure forever. 
Visit songfinch.com, that's S-O-N-G-F-I-N-C-H.com, and use code SHAKEN for a total of $70 off the perfect gift this week only. So in 1994, 20-year-old Glenda Johnson broke up with her girlfriend, Penny Brummer, citing a variety of mundane reasons. Penny refused to help up with the dishes, laundry, household chores, etc. We sort of heard this before. Uh, this <laughs> yeah. is kind of, according to my therapist, I think uh, household devi- deviation of chores mm. and money happened to be like the big thing. Like who's doing laundry? Who's washing the dishes? Sure. So. Nothing crazy about that, but the fact of the matter was a bit more complex. At 20, Glenda had no problem attracting men, but Penny was her first girlfriend, and after having maintained their relationship for seven months, Glenda had become unsure of her sexual orientation. Oh, dear. So happy Pride Month, first of all, for everyone listening, and to you, Darren. Happy Pride Month to you, too, John, (laughs) and to everyone else out there. But listen, like, I think that sexuality is a journey for a lot of people and I don't Mm. think I don't think everyone knows everything all at once because even for me when I talk about this like I had a boyfriend of four years in high school right met him actually who I really loved and like great guy it wasn't that I wasn't attracted to him I didn't like squick out when we like had sex like it wasn't like that Mm -hmm. and so I think it was just more of a journey of like oh I get along better with women or I have a more emotional connection with women but it's not like I find men disgusting and like I could see myself you know what I mean so it's it's a a sliding scale of that stuff so I just want to kind of prevent any judgments from happening Um, in fact yeah, you might call it the Kinsey scale of all scales, you know? One might, Look. yes. But it's yeah. funny you say this, and not to bring it right back to David Archuleta, but that is exactly oh, what Lord. but but that is exactly what David, quote-unquote, right. came out with over, over the weekend, and we'll get to it again at the end of the episode. You know, he's like, listen, I, I, I don't know what I am, but I'm sure as hell not straight. I know that much. So I agree with you, Darren. And I will say, you know, I've had a lot of personal conversations about sexuality over the last year. I think the pandemic has really forced people to take an inner look at themselves that maybe they weren't doing on a regular basis. And, you know, a lot of people are are thinking differently now and realizing that the constructs of sexuality that... I think even our generation, which has been very progressive about it, um, are even deeper and more nuanced than we had previously thought. So I was I was going to say that, and I think actually the younger generation, the generation, the Zoomers, or whatever, <laughs> yeah. I think that they Zoomers. are almost taking it to like a uh, a whole new level that I think Great. people are sort of like yes, and I think it's almost like if you're a cishet white male you're like yeah. boring as shit uh in that generation <laughs> and so um you know yeah. it, it, it's just interesting and, it, and it's constantly evolving but back yeah, to the right. story so yes, yes. Glenda, Glenda had the same best friend since second grade Sarah Gonstead and the two talked every day about everything including their relationships and their problems with them you know as natural best friends are gonna do and although kind of like know, us you know exactly yeah exactly now although we don't know what exactly Sarah knew about Glenda's relationship with Penny it's very likely, or I think the assumption there is that Sarah would have reinforced the mm. idea that the two should break up. We obviously don't know fully, um, but Sarah was a straight woman, was outspoken of Glenda's relationship, not because Glenda had recently come out as gay, but because she felt the relationship was unhealthy yeah. for her friend. So, And haven't we had those conversations in life with so many of our friends? At least I have. Oh, I mean, even you know. together, I think we've had those conversations. Yeah, I was going to say. Though, 
those conversations yeah. are also very nuanced too because you yeah. want to be a supportive friend and you know totally. they might not be in a position to hear you about that and so so yeah. just to give a little background on this penny grew up in spring green wisconsin and joined the air force after high school graduation she married a gay airman and the couple were allowed to live off base and date whomever they wanted without being scru- hmm. scrutinized by the military which i think is Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, Penny, Penny was just charged in 1993 and moved home to Spring Green where she found work at the window blind manufacturer where Glenda worked. Okay, so like a meet cute in real life type of thing. And Yeah, but also really quickly, I just want to mention like the early 90s were a very tumultuous place to be gay in the military yeah, in particular. So God, yes. as we talk about uh, LGBT issues throughout this episode, um, you know, we're very sort of sensitive to, you know, yeah, of like where we were. Cause I mean, think about it, Darren. I mean, we've, you and I have talked so much about this, like every couple of years, it feels like there's been major progress with these issues in American society, at least. So something, just something to think about as we talk more about this. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a good point. Yeah. And the, t- the two girls got close, you know, they worked together and by July, by July of that year, had started dating quickly moved in together Hmm. Insert U-Haul joke here. <laughs> I'm gonna say it. you're all thinking it. I'm going. You're to the say it. you're the resident lesbian, so you're the one who can say that. I'm gonna step aside, but I see exactly. what you're saying. Yes. Thank you. Uh, thank welcome. you for recognizing your role here. Now their relationship. <laughs> right. Their relationship wasn't great. Penny was mm. jealous of the time Glenda spent with her friends, and Glenda continued to flirt with men in a way that made Penny uncomfortable. Again, this is kind of common. Um, yeah. Especially, I think if. And I'm not saying she's considered herself bisexual, but I think I've I've been yeah. with women before that uh, in le- in in true lesbian relationships that don't feel comfortable dating bisexual women because they feel mm. like there's more competition. For me, I'm not one of those because I feel like if you like me, you like mm-hmm. me. Uh, it totally. doesn't matter if there's a competition with a male or a female; like it should just be about us. But some people don't agree with me on that, and so yeah, that's, and that's all about setting boundaries and expectations totally. in a relationship. Yeah. Well, the relationship ended in mid-February of 1994, so they were they were about together, you know, they got close by July of that year, so they were about together, you know, nine months, if you will. Now, sure. Penny, now 25, took the breakup really hard and wanted to remain friends, dating Glenda was in my head 24 mm. hours a day. I think we've all been there. Been there, uh, yes. Yeah, and <laughs> soon after the breakup, Penny surprised Glenda at her apartment where she found her ex watching a movie with one of their male co-workers and the incident left Penny feeling sullen to say the least. Warby Parker was founded with a rebellious spirit and a lofty goal to create boutique quality eyewear at a revolutionary price point. Offering eyeglasses, sunglasses, contact lenses, and eye exams, Warby Parker is committed to providing exceptional vision care online and in stores. Glasses start at $95, including prescription lenses. Sunglasses, progressives, and blue light lenses are also available. And Darren, I know you are a huge Warby Parker fan. We both got sent the home try-on kit. Didn't you love how easy it was? Okay, I've been a Warby fan for a long time, John. I've probably ordered their glasses for years now. I absolutely re-upped and got new lenses. I got the the extremely cool matte black ones, and obviously I look incredible in them, but I've always found their quality was just top-notch and at the right price point. I will say the home try-on kit was actually so easy that I fell in love with the two of the pairs that I got sent. So I actually went ahead and bought those two pairs after I tried them. And I don't know that I would have if I didn't try the home try-on kit. So it really is just that easy. Try five pairs of glasses at home for free 
at warbyparker.com slash shaken. Well, the following Monday, March 14th, 1994, Penny left work early for a night out with some friends. She tried to get a few of her coworkers to join her, but none of them were able to go. Penny decided to buy a 12-pack of beer... Very lesbianish. Let me just put oh. it out there. Oh, okay. And visit Glenn. Just I'm completely joking. And visit <laughs> Glenda's best friend, Sarah. Sarah lived with her mom and had dropped out of college at this point. Um, in an interview with the Advocate, Penny actually recounted that evening, stating, "Quote: I knew Sarah didn't have a job, wasn't going to school or anything, so I figured she'll go." End quote. And Sarah had recently turned 21, and although she and Penny had never hung out alone together, she was Glenda's best friend. You know, friend after all. Um, Penny suggested that they go out to celebrate her birthday. I'm a little sussy already about mm-hmm. this situation, just because it's like. You didn't date for that long. And I'm not saying the relationship wasn't legitimate, but I do think, like, certainly after nine months, you haven't meshed full friends yet. And I'm not sure if this breakup is leaving you heartbroken if you should be like reaching out to the significant uh, your ex's friends but and also isn't this such a great example and darren maybe this isn't your experience so i don't want to speak for you but gay circles and gay it's, it's small it's small it's small yeah and so like you know i think there's this whole thing especially in the 90s i mean imagine a place where you didn't have snapchat you didn't have facebook groups you didn't have ways to connect and find camaraderie and it was a tough time for gay people to connect so you know maybe it was something where you know she was feeling like she had she only had so many outlets or so many resources of people who she could hang out with so she went you know down this one particular direction I mean, I don't think it's that uncommon, and it sounds unhealthy, but I think I I honestly just think with gay people, it's just very different. I don't know how to explain it. No, I agree with that. I think it's a lot easier to be friends, and like, you know, when people are like, oh, well, you know, uh, Darren's dating ex, who's my ex from five years ago, (laughs) it's like, there's just less gay people out there. I also have the firm belief, for the most part, obviously, you know. Abuse aside, I obviously am not. But I think for all intents and purposes, I do believe in trying to maintain a healthy relationship with an ex. I feel like if you're not friends with any of your exes, you're kind of the common denominator there. (laughs) Um, Fair enough. In in a lot of ways. Not in every way, but I do think like... For me, I like a lot of the people that I date more than just a sexual relationship. I feel like I could be friends with them. So, well, that's exactly it's not why that weird, right? Totally, and I I completely agree with you. I am friends with all but one of my exes. Um, the one I'm not friends with is just in a newer relationship. It just didn't feel like the right thing. There's no sort of negativity there. And at, to your point about the friendship thing, I mean, if you can go through a relationship and in a healthy way realize that you guys are better off as friends, then maintain a friendship. That's okay. that's the best best case scenario overall. I mean... You know, the, the the breakups that end in such tumult are usually the ones that were never healthy to begin with. So I you don't even want them as friends. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. Couldn't agree All more. Right. Yeah. Um, well, here's some life advice for everybody listening as well from yeah. John and Darren. <laughs> That's right. Well, back to the story here. Sarah agreed, put on her bright pink and purple jacket, and the two went out. The girls bar crawled, drinking as they drove, which I just said, well, I am not doing, Darren. I want to make that very clear. Thank God. Yeah. And stopping at Wonders Pub, the Regent Street Retreat, and Paul's Speedway. So anyone who knows where those places are, shout out to them. Penny estimated she'd had had between 12 and 15 drinks. Jeez. By the way, I would be dead 
if I had anywhere from 12 to 15. I, I'm dead after probably six. I don't at know most. if I could, like, I'm not even sure I could take that in that much liquid. Like, right, exactly. I think back in the day, like, when you're drinking, you know, when you're in college, you yeah, wake up at eight and you're sure. doing, like, kegs and eggs and you're going, it's like 12 drinks throughout the day feels crazy i know nope. but yeah, I, right. I do think there's a moment where you've had 12 beers in a day it's just been like well that's true it's that's not true. one night out you know what i yeah, mean yeah yeah that's a good point take take a drink if you will of um course. and sarah had maybe eight to nine drinks which is i think a little more reasonable well around 11 p.m the pair arrived at club 3054 and parked in a small lot in the back Penny recounts Sarah wasn't feeling well, so she decided to walk a half block to Glenda's apartment. Okay, well, around the same time... Never a good idea to do this, especially if you're like nine, ten, one drinking. Even one, yeah, I agree. Yeah, just not good. Just not good in general. Around the same time, Penny recalls spilling a bottle of beer next to the parking brake of her vehicle which is her mother's honda she recalls spilling the drink quote over onto my arm and my leg and all down the seat end quote so i'm getting the picture here that this is somewhat irresponsible i mean they're drinking and driving they're walking to you know glenda's house spilling beer spilling beer in the car that's not yours if you get pulled over the cop's gonna have a reasonable reason to think that you've been drinking like it's just it's not good in general to be doing no well penny states she spent roughly 10 to 20 minutes cleaning up that spilled beer then decided not to enter the club and just to go back to her mom's house where she'd been living since her breakup with Glenda. As she drove away, Penny recalls seeing Sarah in the next door parking lot of a Taco Bell. Hey. Shout out, Taco Bell. Talking to a small group of people, some of whom were motorcyclists, and one of whom had a gray van with bug-eyed windows, whatever that even means. I'm sorry, but a gray van to me is like number one serial killer quality. But For that's sure. Just me. Like, I'm just like, no. I think it goes like, white van is number one serial killer quality. Gray is a very close second. You know what I mean? Very close second. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Well, the next morning, Penny claims to have phoned Glenda to ask whether Sarah had made it back to her apartment. Although Glenda also claims to remember this phone call, no such call ever showed up on phone records. Okay, that's very Which, sussy, Darren. That's hella sussy because I do <laughs> think that, like, I think that that's, like, the receipt of the ultimate receipts. Like, there's why would a phone call not show up it's not one of those things that you can delete right yeah it's not a text message that you can kind of alter like these are phone like these are records that the police would use so i just find it a little sussy that she made that call in the first place considering the fact she was also shit-faced i think Mm. it's easy to imagine something that might not have happened that's yeah. all I'll say. I really like hella sussy, though. Let's call everything hella sussy. Hella sussy. Hella sussy. Well, it is, however, confirmed that they spoke to each other at work that day. Glenda told Penny that Sarah had never shown up to her apartment the previous night. Remember, she was going to go walk over to her house. Right. And was aghast that Penny would have let her walk there alone, especially while drunk. Which I agree. Like, that is a very, for lack of a better word, sussy. to Hella let, sussy. Hella sussy to let your friend in, in such a condition... You know, just meander away. But then again, she was drinking too. So maybe she just didn't know any better to help her friend out and make sure she was accountable. It's hard to keep track and check all those boxes when you're completely shit-faced, for lack of a better word. Yeah, this Um, kind of reminds me, though, and I don't know if you had this, but 
I feel like in college, at least, it's a good thing, especially for women, but I think mm-hmm. in general, but I think especially for women to kind of have a buddy system. For and you sure. make sure, you know, Absolutely. that you're kind of taking care of each other. And I just think this is a good point to suggest mm-hmm. that to anyone that's doing that, like just to not leave, especially women, um, especially in an altered state of mind, kind of by themselves. But, Ab- you know. Yeah, and absolutely. And not only that, use Find My Friends. Like, if you're going out with a bunch of friends, as especially as we reopen our country here in the United States, um, add your friends on Find My Friends so they, at the very least, know where your phone is if they need to find you, you know. That kind of That's stuff a- is important. That's a good call. Obviously, yeah. the, we, we recognize that Glenda and Penny and Sarah could not have done this given the right. time frame, but we're just making making. This is just for the, the listeners. Yes, exactly. 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 Well, afterward, Glenda sat in the parking lot with two of her coworkers, both of whom later uh, stated that she was worried to the point of tears. When she arrived home, Glenda found a message on her answering machine from Sarah's mom, Linda, trying to track down her daughter. So this is not looking good. At this point, uh, she's pretty much a missing person. Yeah, not a good sign. I would say not a good sign. No. Well, the next day, March 16th, Glenda made calls to the police, Sarah's mom, friends, and co-workers trying to track down her friend. Mm. She and Penny both showed up for work that day. However, Glenda left early and called Sarah's mom again later that evening. Uh, around 7 p.m. that night, David Zoromsky was driving his son to a religion class when he saw a red SUV or pickup truck parked on the shoulder but partially still on the road. Now, hmm. David David had been a victim of a burglary several years before and always made sure to take note of suspicious-looking vehicles, <laughs> which is funny because I was literally just going to say, the same like, thing. Yeah. how do you know that something's sussy? Like, how do you know something's yeah. hella sussy if it's just a thing on the road? Like, well, can I tell you? Break down, yeah. They certainly do. And I will say, especially having worked at Oxygen for so long as I did, I cannot drive down the road without making note of everything I see. And if I saw a red van half on the shoulder, half not, especially a van, just because I'm like, what, you know, who are they trafficking? That's what immediately goes to my head. I immediately look at the license plate. I try to remember the year, make, and model if I can do that. And I think it's just from working at Oxygen, Darren, and doing so many episodes of true crime with you. It's just, it's in my DNA at this point. I'm sure it's in yours, too. I think it's a good skill to have. Yeah, I mean, I was yeah. actually talking to my dad the other day about having noise-canceling headphones because I was on this flight. He's like, oh, you should have gotten noise-canceling headphones. And I was like, yes. Mm. But for me, I never thought <laughs> about it because I don't want to have noise-canceling headphones when I'm on the streets of New York City. Like, sure, of I don't want to be – I don't want sensory deprivation in a place where I know that I need to be paying attention. But Totally. So, so anyway, back to David. Uh, yes. So he slows down. He notices what appeared to be a young man with a slight build standing in front of the open passenger jo- door with a pink duffel bag. Okay. Now, on March 16th, Linda reported her daughter missing. She'd given her a few days to return home. And while it isn't necessarily out of, a, out of character for a 21-year-old to disappear yeah. for a few days... It did seem totally out of character for Sarah to disappear for a few days. Well, especially given the circumstances that she was last seen drunk, meandering around. You know, like that's not good. And just a few other backup things. She didn't have a boyfriend. She attended church and Mm. she still lived at home. So she's not like going back to her apartment and just hasn't talked to her parents for three days. She's living with her parents. So Penny was the last person confirmed to have seen Sarah alive the night of March 14th. That's what we know right now. And in the following weeks, friends and family searched for Sarah, putting up flyers, calling to question anyone who might have seen her after that night. Penny was questioned by police and went through her recollection of the night of March 14th repeatedly. Police also interviewed the man who owned the gray, bug-eyed van who Penny claimed to have seen talking to Sarah that night. 
night. And, you know, she was talking to a bunch of motorcyclists and the guy who owned right, the band. Right. So, however, when he stated he hadn't been to the Taco Bell that evening and didn't recognize Sarah's photo in the first place, investigators stopped pursuing a lead, although the man had a long criminal oh, record. Oh, okay. Well, I, so then you, you better know, take him at his word, right? And I well, I mean, and I just want to say that, like, listen, I do believe in the power of redemption, and I and I, you know, I do believe that, like, when you get out of prison, you know, you have every right to like earn sure. a living, and you're yeah, not going to sure. be a stain on society in any sort of way. So, to some extent, I mean, if he had an alibi, or you know, I don't necessarily think it's bad to believe him, but I yeah. do think here might be a little hella sussy um, because he did have a long criminal record and. We don't know that much about at, where the, at she, that point, yeah. She went. We don't know anything about yeah. Sarah. So, throughout this time, coworkers reported that Glenda was extremely distraught, frequently taking days off work, while Penny seemed calm, kind of aloof about this mm. whole thing, which also seems sussy. Mm-hmm. Glenda's ex-boyfriend and coworker later testified, "Quote: Penny said she couldn't let it bother her like it was bothering Glenda. She had a job to do so for. She couldn't afford to be taking off." Mm. I mean, okay. Mm, um, yeah, I don't know what to think. You about, are the last person to see this person alive, so that I, you know, right. everyone has different emotional reactions to things. And on April 9th, a man named Christopher Clemens was out for a bike ride when he noticed a flash of color. Christopher went to investigate and quickly mm. realized that he just stumbled upon Sarah's body. Oh, An dear. autopsy. Remember, she was she was wearing the, uh, the that pink, pink and, and purple, purple yeah. jacket. So. An autopsy later found that Sarah had been shot in the back of the head at close range with a 22 caliber bullet sometime between March 14th and March 20th. Um, uh, Autopsy reports can only be as accurate as possible, and the media was alerted of the discovery, and a group of friends, including Penny, went to Glenda's apartment to wait for the news to come on. Ugh, that's so heartbreaking and gruesome. Yeah. Well, while the group waited for the news to air, they put on a movie... Um, There's dispute about what happened next, but some of the people in attendance made statements that when the news came on, Penny wanted to continue watching the movie instead. Now imagine, you know, your uh, your friend has just been murdered, and or the person that you know you were the last person that the cops know to be seen alive. Yeah, but Penny denies this, stating that uh, she had only talked about wanting to return to the movie after the news had ended. Okay, well, even that's a little bit, you know, sussy. Um, Is this our new thing? Sussy? I kind of like it, though. It's a great kind of way to describe things. We're working it out. Yeah. All right, let's work it out. Let's see what happens. Well, on April 10th, investigators went to Jake's Bar and Grill, a straight shot of less than two miles from where Sarah's body was found. They asked the bartender whether she had seen Penny and another young woman on the evening of March 14th. The bartender confirmed that both women had come in and she'd served them. They had stayed for roughly 90 minutes and left between uh, 12 and 1 a.m. Now, let me also just say something because I hear so often about investigators showing up at bars and asking bartenders if they remember things. Just going to bring that up. Like, yeah, shout out to bartenders who, like, I guess need to have to remember it. Yeah, like, I don't remember anything. I'm going to be completely honest. I don't remember shit. So if you... You know, like, it's probably good I'm not a bartender for that exact reason. But. I mean, think about their, the sober ones, or at least probably should be. But, you know, mm-hmm. depending on how many people you're serving, I'm just impressed with right. the memory. Yeah. I know. Well, in her conversations with detectives, Penny had never mentioned going to Jake's. Oh, Penny, yeah, Penny was brought in again for questioning, and detectives asked directly whether she'd uh, ever been to the bar. She said that she had not. 
Okay. Well, detectives, ah, right. things are getting weird now. Detectives told, uh, then told Penny about the bartender's identification, and she responded, quote, I was pretty drunk. I must have blacked out, end quote. Been there, done that, sure. Let's give you the benefit sure. of the doubt. Well, the officers questioning Penny then accused her of being involved in Sarah's death. Detective Kenneth Pledger stated that when accused, Penny became teary-eyed and started fidgeting and slightly nodding. Uh, Detective Pledger recounts, quote, I said, I know you'd like to take this night back. She was sitting there and again shaking her head uh, real slightly in the affirmative, end quote. Mm -hmm. Well, Penny was arrested that afternoon. And listen, I also want to state that, like, if I was being questioned by the cops about something that I truly was innocent for, mm. I would probably be very nervous. In oh, my God. Yes. You know, it's kind of like white coat syndrome a little bit. Like, you know, anybody yeah. who's getting the sirens behind <laughs> them in the car is probably going to get a little nervous. So, Well, especially like, you know, when especially now. I mean, this was obviously the early 90s. But when you think about it now and how many people, Darren, we know who are sentenced to life in prison or found guilty for crimes that they later find out were not they never committed it's like i've i've run that through my head a couple times i'm like what if that happened to me like what would i do i would have no way out of that box and people so many people over the history of our country in this world really um have faced that kind of torture so i've i've definitely agree with you i would totally be nervous Absolutely. And, you know, although there was no physical evidence linking Penny to Sarah's death, detectives felt that they had enough circumstantial evidence to charge mm. her. She was the last known person to see Sarah. She had a cru- she left a crucial detail out of her account of the evening. Now, granted, she was drunk, but she never even mentioned Jake's. So, Right. That's... And also, I'm sorry. Go, go, go. Ahead. Oh, I didn't want to interrupt you. Sorry. But also, I'm wondering, like, how did they interpret the affirmative head nodding that Detective Pledger was just talking about? Like... Do they interpret that as like, all right, well, that's a confession. Like, I'm just curious how police departments but would like, handle a nod. And know? I don't think that it sh- they should handle it like that because also at yeah, the same time, like, who wouldn't take that night back? Well, f- like, right. Either way. She, whether or not she's innocent or guilty, mm-hmm. like, a friend passed away. Like, who would not take that night back? Yeah, so that's right. I also feel like her affirming that isn't proof of anything, but... Not a confession. You know, not a confession, not to me. Uh, I could be wrong, yeah. but just not to me. Now, police went to Penny's mother's home with a warrant listing the guns previously owned by Penny's late father. Only mm. one of the guns on the list was a twenty-two. Now, remember, we know that Sarah was shot with a twenty-two. Right. Penny's mom went inside to find the guns, but found the twenty-two was missing. Oh, dear. Penny, now 25, was taken to trial in the fall of 1994, by which time the state had amassed a clear but very circumstantial case against her, which is proving to be true. Penny had omitted her visit with Sarah to Jake's Bar and Grill, although she explained that she must have blacked out and forgotten about it. Penny Mm -hmm. had told police that when she and Sarah pulled into the last bar, Club 3054, they had been forced to park in the back lot because there were other cars in the front parking lot. However, it was later discovered that the club had actually been closed, Mm -hmm. so it was unlikely any cars would have been in the front lot or that they would have visited it now penny had stated she'd seen sarah talking with a group of motorcyclists as we had mentioned as well as a man with a gray van however the taco bell security guard had no recollection of that group of people at all so a lot of evidence isn't matching up here penny told police she'd never been to the stretch of road where sarah's body was discovered however multiple friends stated that she pointed out that the road uh was a good way to avoid police these are her friends saying this so that's definitely not good 
so this is this is just not ending well for Penny. When Penny got no. back to her mother's house early in the morning on March 15th, she'd immediately showered and washed her clothing. She stated this was because she had spilled beer on herself, which we sort of know to be true. She had also mm. cleaned her mother's car the next day, also citing the spilled beer. Fair. Okay. Only a few days after Sarah vanished, Penny restyled her hair and looked into re-enlisting with the Air Force, although friends stated she had been talking about doing both of those things before Sarah disappeared. So... Okay. That's purely circumstantial. Coincidental, the, yeah. The prosecution cited Penny's motive as jealousy. She saw Sarah as an obstacle to winning Glenda back, as she knew Sarah was encouraging Glenda to leave the relationship. So right. perhaps Penny saw Sarah as the key to Glenda's part, or maybe lack thereof. Now, prosecutors attempted to bring up allegations that Penny had threatened to kill a coworker, even going as far back to ask another co-worker to help get rid of her. Mm. However, the judge refused to allow the testimony as it was irrelevant to the case and would be uh, prejudicial to the jury. So I, yeah. uh, I, I, that's probably true. You know, you don't want that's up, to color and then yeah. that's up for debate, I think. Totally, um, yeah. And again, that could have been said in casual conversation of being like, oh my God, I want to kill John today. He's... <laughs> You know, how do I get rid of this yeah. guy? Like, right. I, I don't think it would have been oh. like that, but it's... Well, now you no, know what listen. I say to my right. friends. Anyway, I was just going to say, um, how long... No, no, that no, sounds no, awfully no. rehearsed, Darren. No, no, Jeez. No, 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 I just pulled that out of thin air oh, now. okay. All uh, yeah, right. no, no, good. Uh, however, during the trial, <laughs> new evidence fell into the prosecution's lap, and on September oh, 25th, while the jury was at lunch, a loan officer named James Foseed arrived with a story for the prosecutors... And James stated that he'd overheard Penny threaten to kill someone but hadn't come forward with this information as he hadn't wanted to get involved and figured the police could handle the case without his help. But he Hmm. had now changed his mind. Well, this is so interesting because it's like, well, what changed your mind? And it does have me... I mean, this case is so interesting. It has me thinking a lot about what I would do with my own information. And, like, right. What if you did know something that wasn't a direct, you know... um, piece of evidence but you think it could have helped the case would you come forward with that information i think darren i'm curious to hear what you would say about it as a true crime podcaster well it's tough because on the one hand it's like yes i think that you should give police all information possible but at the same time how many cases have we covered where you know the police have sort of botched a lot of things that happen and Mm. you know i've read a lot of things that it's like Supposing this guy came forward saying something, but didn't get the details exactly right, would he be a suspect now because he lied to police? Like, there's just a lot of... I could kind of see both sides of it. Um, Totally, yeah. What do you you think? I think that you put it really well, Darren. Um, I think if... I would be nervous I would say the wrong thing and end up in handcuffs or something like that. So I'm not sure I would. we've seen that. Yeah, and we've seen that. And, like, that's the thing, too, is, like, I think... There is a little bit of nuance here because I sort of understand someone being like, I don't want to get involved because what if? Like, right. uh, you know, you get in trouble for a lot more things that you say than for things that you don't say, even if that helps find a case. And I do think mm, that sometimes, right. especially what's going on in the world, I mean, I think a lot of people are just scared in general. And so, yeah. you know, I, I kind of understand where he was coming from with this. Totally. I'll say that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, according to James, he had been at a bar called Echo Tap in early spring and happened to be sat next to Penny, who was with another female. James heard Penny complaining to her friend about a, quote, fat, ugly bitch, end quote, which I would never say, but that's the quote there, who was trying to break up her relationship. 
James struck up conversation to ask who Penny was talking about. Penny started to elaborate and complain, stating, quote, she said she's trying to talk. She said she's trying to talk her into going straight and later, quote, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to waste her, end quote. I find it interesting that James is remembering all of this. Do you? I'm I'm finding it interesting that James struck up a conversation when Penny just called someone a fat ugly bitch. Like, yeah, I'm not I'm not confident. I want to be like, well, who are you gossiping about? Well, who like, you got? <laughs> right, I, exactly. I don't know if I would do that, but that's not really a judgment call. I mean, I think uh, people do that. Yeah. I think maybe sure, people it's a bar. It like, it's yeah. a bar. Perhaps he wanted to talk to her, and that was kind of his way in. So I don't Fair necessarily enough, begrudge yeah. him for that. I'm just not confident I would want to hop into a conversation if someone was no. describing someone else as a fat, ugly bitch, but that's just me. Right. Well, there you go. Well, James stated that he'd suggested Penny work out the problem instead, and the two women got up and left the bar. The defense was outraged about this sudden new testimony, complaining that they didn't have time to verify the story properly. However, the judge ruled against it admissible, and James was allowed to testify three days later. That's actually very surprising to me. You said against it, but it, the judge ruled it admissible. I'm sorry. I think it was just a, a, a misspeak on your part. But yeah, judge ruled it admissible. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, you're right. No, totally, totally fine. Yeah, yep. totally fine. No, it was. Uh, so James, yes, was allowed to testify. That's my bad. So I just yep. found that very odd. You know, like you don't hear about that kind of stuff usually whenever evidence is um, entered into a, an active case or an active trial. Yeah, especially well, if like the the defense is sort of you know surprised by this new testimony, you'd kind of think that the judge would give them both time, but maybe sure, not. Yeah. Clearly, clearly, there's rules with this stuff that's probably above our pay grade. Yeah, totally. Like rules about discovery and things like that. Well, the prosecution went on to propose that instead of leaving Sarah to walk to Glenda's home at the end of the night, Sarah and Penny had actually ended the night at Jake's, the the club, uh-huh. the bar. Stopping on the side of the road to relieve themselves, they alleged it was then that Penny killed Sarah. Now, David Zaromsky was brought in to testify about his March 16th sighting of the red van and the young man with the slight build and the pink duffel bag. Prosecutors alleged that he had actually seen Penny in a borrowed car dumping Sarah's body in the woods on the otherwise deserted stretch of road. Now, this seems like the kind of detail that could be easily at least somewhat easily verified. Like, where was the van? Where was the body? How do we line up those timelines? You know what I mean? Like, there's not a lot of nuance here, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. Well, the jury started to deliberate the case around 7 p.m. on September 30th and found themselves immediately immersed. The foreman, Kurt Van Summeren, stated that they didn't even want to break for the night. Wow. the jury firm foreman, his name is Kurt, stated, quote, nobody felt they would be able to sleep. There wasn't anybody yawning or any kind of fatigue, either mental or physical. If there had been, I would have said this isn't right. End quote. Right. After just a few hours, the first vote came in at a 10-2 to convict Penny. At, so so 10 votes to two, I should say. Yeah. However, while the two holdouts weren't sure Penny was innocent, they felt they needed stronger proof amidst all the highly circumstantial evidence. Because remember, it's beyond a reasonable doubt. And right. if there's 1% of a reasonable doubt, well, you can't convict on that. So that's mm. why it's so hard uh, to do this. You have to prove guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. And, you know... The, the prosecution always has the harder job of it, I think, um, because sure. they have something to prove that the defendants, the defense doesn't. So, yeah. No, that's a very good point. Um, a few of the jurors became highly emotional during deliberation, some even crying. 
However, they all realized that their job was to do the best they could with the evidence that is presented to them. Another great point. You can't sort of come up with your own thoughts. You have to look at the evidence that you have in front of you. And Darren, there was just simply no physical evidence whatsoever on which to base a decision. Everything was completely circumstantial to these jurors. And that's hard, you know, like there's got to be a high bar for this. And the jurors worked through the night discussing the case until 3.30 a.m. on October 1st, at which time they voted again and reached a unanimous agreement of Penny's guilt. As we know, it needs to be Mm. unanimous. And one of the key pieces of evidence that persuaded the jury of Penny's guilt was her omission of her trip to Jake's Bar and Grill. They didn't believe that she had blacked out and forgotten that she'd been there. I mean, yeah, that's a tough one. It's a tough one. It also seems like, why would you kind of remember other details enough to get out uh, in terms of seeing a gray van and then not remember even the bar that you're at and not even remember that the bar, the club was closed. So, you know, I I do think that's kind of the linchpin here. And the verdict was read an hour later at 4.30 a.m. on October Mm. 1st. Penny broke down in sobs, commenting only, I have nothing to say. I have nothing to say. Hmm. And when asked by the court to make a formal statement, her only comment was, all I want to say is I didn't do it. And under Wisconsin law here, Penny's automatic sentence was life in prison. After her conviction, the defense team filed for an appeal and lost that. Now, convinced hmm. of her innocence, Penny's family hired a private investigator and took out newspaper advertisements, asking that anyone with information about the case come forward. In 1995, the advocate push published an article about Penny's case, which caught the eye of Sheila Barry, a former paralegal, and her husband, Doug. The couple investigated potentially wrongful convictions and Uh-oh. became interested in Penny's case. Now, the couple agreed that the circumstantial evidence that put Penny away was too flimsy to warrant a life sentence. I probably agree with that. And in 2015, yeah. published their book called Who Killed Sarah? Shedding New Light on and Questionable Shedding New Light on a Questionable Conviction. And the investigative okay. book focused predominantly on interviews with Penny and the police and court records, as most of the people who gave testimony, as well as the prosecution team, uh, they declined interviews. So, well, sure, yeah. So, uh... I imagine that usually a lot of times, especially when the prosecution, the case is said and done, they kind of want to put it behind them, and there are so many other cases yeah. to cover. So I'm not surprised about that. But sure. in 2009, the Wisconsin's in, the Wisconsin Innocence Project also began looking into Penny's case, and the 2015 book publication revitalized their interest in the case, and the team started reexamining physical evidence, including the bullet yeah. that had killed Sarah, which you'd kind of think, why the fuck didn't do that originally? But, you know, that's why right. I'm... For the Innocence Project here, now the Wisconsin's Innocence Project opened, hoped to prove that the 22 caliber bullet came from a gun different to the missing revolver owned by Penny's father in the hopes that the lack of even an alleged murder weapon would help Penny on her next appeal. Yeah. And to be honest with you, for me, the fact that the 22 was missing in her house was like, oh boy. Like, mm-hmm. But if you can prove that that had really nothing to do, then to me, there's really no case here. Well, I'm glad we're bringing this back up here because I thought when we first learned about the 22 caliber bullet and the gun, I'm like, okay, well, that adds up. But then even while we were still discussing, Darren, I'm thinking, but aren't 22 caliber bullets and guns very common? Like, yes, it might have been the same caliber, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's the exact same murder weapon. You know? Right. I mean, I think that when, when we were saying, like, when we were talking about Son of Sam killing with the forty-four yeah, caliber, yeah, like, yeah. that wasn't a common weapon. So I think for there, you know, but we've often, I mean, I know what a twenty-two caliber is. I feel like that's, yeah. again, circumstantial, not necessarily indicative right. of anything other than, like, okay. You know, it's almost like saying, like, well, she had brown hair. 
and that person yeah, has brown exactly. hair. And it's like, well, right. a lot of people have brown fucking hair. Like, you know. So let's put them away for life. Yeah. Well, right. at present, the bullet and its origin is still the most promising evidence lead to help in Penny's case. Penny has been incarcerated for the past mm. 27 years. However, there are legal terms still working, dil- legal teams, excuse me, still working diligently to find mm-hmm. new evidence and free her. These teams believe her to be innocent. However, guilt or innocence aside, it's unconscionable that someone was able to be sent to prison for life without a shred of physical evidence or a single eyewitness to prove her guilt. Uh, Obviously, if you'd like to learn more about Penny's ongoing case, you can find more information out at www.whokilledsarah.com. And, you know, one of the things I kind of want to present to you here is just we wrap out this case, um, Mm -hmm. go to listener shout-outs, is it sort of reminded me a little bit of Adnan Syed because often you and I have talked about this and I get asked, you know, like, do you think he's guilty? Do you think he's innocent? And I say, regardless of whether or not he's guilty or innocent, I think we can all all kind of conclude that he did not have a fair trial and this i think that we can all think like okay penny had motive she had clearly talked about these things whether loosely on the record or whatever she lied or admitted information to police all three things that aren't good that certainly aren't going to help you um uh, help the innocent side of your thing but Mm -hmm. i do believe if we're going to put somebody anybody away especially for a life sentence uh, to have no physical evidence to sort of just presume like, okay, well, this is kind of our best bet, so let's do this, is very unfair to the right. citizens of the world. Um, and that's really how I come out on this whole thing. Yeah, and I mean, to quickly touch on the Adnan thing, just to respond, I think he was 17 when he was convicted of life right. in prison with no physical connection or evidence to that And she's 25, so it's... Yeah. Young. I mean, these are, and I'm not saying it's okay if you're 70. I'm not saying that either. I'm just saying that, like, there's so much more life for these people to live that to think that they're, to think that they don't even get a fair trial or couldn't even appeal um, is very scary and it's very uh, unjust, in my opinion, no matter your feelings on the case. So, if you were to ask me to conspire and, you know, or not conspire, but like, you know, think of what could have happened. I will say her responses at the, in the courtroom when the verdict was read, it makes me feel like she may know something. I'll be completely honest, especially and Darren, you did a great job at like, you know, I hadn't even thought about like, she remembered other details, but how did she forget the most important ones? You know? So I think there might be more to that story. Like that she knows. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'm just being a little bit too conspiratorial, but that's just where I my my brain went. But either way, agree with you. Uh, that is a crazy sentence for no physical evidence. And we hope whatever the case may be, whatever the verdict or whatever the um, actual truth is, it comes out in a way that is justice for everyone involved, you know. I, I couldn't agree more. Obviously, we want to get from we want to hear from you guys too about this case because this is yeah it's a little bit of a toss up for us on this one. I think. Yeah, I agree. Let us know what you think about this week's case at Jay Thrasher at Carpe Darren. Hit us up in our Facebook group. We are responding to DMs in our Patreon. Um, but Darren, let's get into the listener shoutouts because we have two very interesting ones to get to today. Yeah, let me start off with this first one here. Um, this one it actually means a lot to me. So 
Audie, uh, A-U-D-I-E, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, but Audie in our Facebook group had a very profound message that we wanted to kind of share with everyone on the show. So uh, yeah. Audie says this, so when I first started listening to Martinis and Murder, I was pro-death penalty, only because I believe that certain people cannot be rehabilitated and are dangerous whether they're in or out of prison. But as I listened to the whole podcast and finally started listening to Shaken and Disturbed last week, life has been busy, so I'm starting to catch up. I can't help <laughs> but to thank these podcasts for shedding some light on the death penalty and how our justice system is so flawed that it should not be on the table when it comes to sentencing people. I looked into a few cases, not too many because there are so many, but it's crazy yet not surprising how many innocent people are serving time in prison mm. and or sentenced to the, to the death penalty. I want to thank you guys for giving me some perspective and I'm very much I'm very much against the death penalty. As a proud supporter of the BLM movement, I cannot be pro-death penalty at the same time because the government has gotten away with murdering people of color for too long. Sorry mm. if this post is long or if not acceptable on this group. I just thought I showed some appreciation <laughs> towards John and Darren. Those type of messages wow. absolutely are acceptable. Like, Audie, <laughs> yeah. first off, I think it's pretty incredible that a lot of people don't change their minds about these things. And I think that uh, in general, I think, you know, you can have conversations about them and I think you can shed light. And I think even when people are kind of, it, it is a personal opinion, you it know, is, it's kind yeah. of, it's not really fact-based in anything. I mean, we can talk about how it's more expensive to house a prisoner than it is to put them to death. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, uh, sorry, it's more expensive to put someone yeah. to death than it is to house a prisoner. And we can talk about all that and, and the moral issue here. But I think it's really hard for a lot of people to even admit that they changed their minds about something and for you to kind of do it so eloquently and, and talk about, you know, how you kind of came around this journey, I think is just really great. And I also commend you for looking into these cases on your own. And I yeah. I do agree with you. I mean, especially of the BLM, especially with the BLM mm -hmm. movement, as, as I know John and I both are, um, mm -hmm. for me, just so many cases go unsolved and we look at something like this and I just, I, I'm just not confident that putting someone to death, even on just kind of the remote circumstantial evidence. Cause, and that goes back to us talking to the cops. I mean, what mm -hmm. if I was found at that bar and then I didn't come forward yeah. with something like, am I just by virtue of being there, am I now kind of set up in the system as a, as, mm -hmm. as a person, a, a sussy uh, person here? Like I don't, <laughs> There's a lot of nuance to this, um, but Audie, thank you so much for writing us about that. And obviously we're here to shed light in any sort of way on that stuff. So thank you. Yeah. And I would add, and by the way, Audie, yes, thank you for, I want to say personally, like what a great, and not just because you were throwing some appreciation our way, but just for being so open and honest. We love that we're impacting people one way or another to think a little bit more about the justice system that... You know, we all love true crime, but the reality is it's not just entertainment. These are lives. Yeah, yeah, these are people's lives. And I will just add, you know, I think, Darren, you've done such a great job over the last several years, both on this podcast and beyond, at explaining in an eloquent and just compassionate way why you personally just don't believe in the death penalty. And if people want to prescribe that or if, or uh, to that, or if people want to disagree, you're completely open to both of those things, which has been great. But I think that kind of um, the way you've had that conversation with me and others over the years has set people up to think a little bit harder about something that, you know, can make or break a lot of people's lives.
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, thank you. It's it seems weird to to switch gears for a moment, but I don't want to leave <laughs> the group right. without talking about David Archuleta. But Audie, <laughs> seriously, thank you so much for this, yes. and keep those Thanks, comments Audie. coming. And if you guys disagree on it, we want to hear those too, because I think yeah, the sure. best disinfectant is sunlight. Teach me something that I might not know. Like, let's have a nice discussion about it. Like, you can disagree without being disagreeable. So uh, I just kind of want to sure. state that. But okay, John. All uh, right. Let just give it. Like, did you like? Am I talking to a robot this entire time? Like, did you die and come back to life? Because when David yeah. Archuleta, let me just say, came out with the news, yes. I think I text messaged or DM John like almost yeah. in five minutes. And then yes. John sent me a picture of him like in the sun. He was like, and I'm dead now. And here I am dead <laughs> I I where that. I am. Yes. And I was like, okay, okay. So he died. Yeah. So yeah. the reincarnation of John now can just describe this. <laughs> but uh, t- t- tell us well, tell us your all the wave of emotion you went through this past week. John. Yeah. Well, listen, you know, it's been a somewhat of a joke, although I'm half serious about it over the many years since the day I first watched David Archuleta, you know, on American Idol, you know, I've always had a big crush on him and not just a crush, but like, you know, I've gotten to know whatever his public persona is. And over the years and I just you know I have feelings for him what can I say so over the weekend he posted a uh, social media but first on Instagram but then eventually everywhere else stating that um, he came out as gay to his family in 2014 he then later realized maybe he's actually bisexual then he realized maybe it's something else and the gist of his quote-unquote coming out story is that He's landing somewhere in this spectrum that we're all, I think, in some ways are, you know, figuring out at one stage or another. Um, but that, you know, he's open and, and willing to figure it out and give it its space and time. And, you know, he's a very religious person. He belongs to the Church of Latter-day Saints, and he's very open and honest about it. Wow. Yeah. And so there's sort of that so level he's, of... he's Mormon? He is, yeah. I did not know that. That's very yeah. interesting. Yeah, so it and, adds another layer because they're not exactly, you know, the most accepting of well, and, LGBT and, people. And I didn't mean to interrupt you here, but, nope, you know, I also it. do that an LGBTQ podcast called Scissoring Isn't a that's Thing right. for anyone that's sort of interested in this. And, you know, I talk about the nuance quite frequently about this. And mm-hmm. I actually talked to one of the Salt Lake City housewives um, about oh. this who was well into the Church of LDS. Now, everyone has their own experience, but I did sort of right. ask her. I was like, how do you kind of equate you know, being on this gay network uh, and being a fan of gay people, but also sort of being part of an organization that doesn't really let you be accepting of that. And she said that the church of LDS, she said, it's not that you can't be gay. She was like, obviously there's gay Mormons. Like there's gay people in every faction. And, you know, it's mm. like when North Korea is like, we don't have any gay people. We're like, <laughs> right. yeah. Uh-huh. That's not how um, it works. Yeah. That's not how it works. But so there are gay people. It's that they frown upon acting on it. Right. So you can sort of be out but not act, which I obviously is not a good thing um, for a lot of people. No. But I'm just trying to articulate that sort yeah, of no, that's, perspective he, of what she said to me on it. And that that's so important. Thank you very much for doing that because the other part of David's uh, Instagram post, which I encourage everyone to go read because if nothing else, it's just fascinating to hear Definitely. someone's perspective on sexuality. But he also said, you know, listen, I've made a commitment to save myself until marriage. And that, I'm sure, is part, as you were just saying, Darren, um, of, of the religious aspect of his upbringing and who he is as a person. And listen, this was a very big weekend for me when he came out for a million different reasons. And thank you to 
maybe the hundreds of you who tagged me or sent it to me or messaged me, I really do appreciate it. I made a statement in our Facebook group because I had a feeling everyone was going to tag. Yeah, so many people were tagging even after I did post that. But anyway, I really appreciate that. But at the end of the day, it is David's story. It is not about me. Um, I will say Leah and our D, uh, Leah DM'd me on Instagram and she said, tell me why David Archuleta coming out literally made me think of you. I'm sure this made your year. Happy Pride. <laughs> Nicole no. in our face. Yeah, you know, listen. Um, Nicole in our Facebook group also commented to me saying, quote, let's start planning their wedding. So, you know, listen, I'm about if it. I'm about Let it, too. Let me plan it. Darren, I would love for you to plan it. So I am over the moon for David if it means something for him to come out. I talk talk about him like I know him. I don't know him personally. I'm I'm going to figure out a way to get you on David's radar. Yeah? There's got to be like three degrees. Like I'm sure I know know. someone who knows someone. That's what I thought. There has to be some connection. Like six degrees of Kevin. Six degrees of separation of Kevin Bacon. (laughs) Like it has to just. Well, I mean, you and I have worked in entertainment for so long. How do we not have any direct connections to David Archuleta? You know what I'm saying? It's like, no, I, come on now. I, I hear you, babe, but I'm excited. This yeah. was definitely a happy pride for you yeah, um, in for a lot sure. of ways. But happy pride to David. And we're really That's excited right. that you, we can welcome you with open arms into our community. And we're excited about this journey for you. Um, and we hope for we're getting sure. all the love and support that you absolutely deserve. So, and if he wants to be welcomed into my arms in particular, I would love to welcome him that way as a, with a great big hug. David, so. if you want to go into a red or gray van with John and go <laughs> spill beer into bars, I will, not, I will not be a witness and I will remain silent on this. Um, so, David, if you're listening, I got you, buddy. I got you, buddy. <laughs> Darren's um, got your back, David. There I've you go. got your back. Before I sign off here, I just want to do a quick Patreon plug. Thank you to everyone who's been supporting us. But you can yeah, now get 15% you. off our Patreon if you subscribe annually. This means literally no monthly billing. You just subscribe for a year up front. You get everything we have already posted and everything to come. It's truly an amazing deal. Yeah, go it to is. Pa- go to patreon.com slash shaken and disturbed. Um, obviously, uh, all the support we have been appreciating. Um, and hopefully we get more because it is a tough gig to do this independently, let me tell you. So just, again, it sure we say it every week, but we don't <laughs> want it to go unnoticed. Thank you all for your support and love. Just try and stay alive, either either through David Archuleta memes and or cicadas. Uh, stay and- alive till next week. I need you, buddy. That's right. And for all you guys listening, do not be hella sussy. That's all we know. And now. yes, I think we need to sign off every week. Saying, Don't be hella sussy. Don't no be hella, hella sussy. Su- <laughs> no hella sus. Uh, I'll see you guys next week. That's right. Bye. Bye.